We're back with a fresh and new episode of the Teen Challenge of Southern California podcast. When you're here with us, it's important that you know that you can always expect content that lifts up the name of Jesus and the cross. These will be told through messages and conversations that are powerful, dynamic, and encouraging. A new resource that we want you to know about is our 24-7 helpline. No matter where you find yourself, if you just need someone to talk to, to pray with you, and to believe God for you in whatever that difficult season of life looks like, we want you to know that we're here for you. And if you know someone who maybe needs help because of addiction, you can give them the same number and we can help them begin their new life. That number is 888-520-0620. Once again, that's 888-520-0620. And on today's episode, we're going to hear from Pastor Scott Artavanis from Grace Church of the Valley. Listen in as he shares from God's Word at Spiritual Emphasis 2021. God bless you today, my friends. Ah, this is a wonderful, wonderful joy just to, just to be here, amen? And um, this is how it should be, and this is how it has been. So I recognize even stepping into here, this has just been a little bit of an odd season this last year. And I don't know where you are. You might be at different places. You might just be brand new to Teen Challenge. Maybe you've been here six months. Maybe you've been here eight months but I'm just glad to get back to normal so that we can have face-to-face meetings like this, right? Hear the Word of God, be able to sing with the worship team. We'll do that in, in a, at the end of this time as well. James, thank you for your message. I got out of my car over there in the parking lot about a half hour, and he was just preaching. I knew that the Lord and the Holy Spirit was helping you. Brother, thank you for your message. Thank you just for delivering that. And I'm excited to see what the Lord's going to do in your life. I was just thinking as we were, you were hearing the preaching, as we were singing, I have a dear friend of mine named Tyler, who has been through Teen Challenge here, and God is already using him in amazing ways in the country of Albania. And so we're just so excited for him. He came into Teen Challenge not knowing Christ, leaving Teen Challenge, you know, uh, uh, knowing Christ, and then God got a hold of his life and has kept getting a hold of his life putting him in places and positions to the point where now he's over in Albania and he just preached his first formal sermon in a church service on Sunday. So I'm looking out here and I'm wondering what God is going to do in your life and how he's going to use you. Because if you were to see Tyler's face, I don't know, two and a half years ago, You would have seen an angry man, uh, an unhappy man, a bitter man, angry at everybody in his entire life, and the ones who loved him most, and then God caused a change to take place in his heart, and he was wonderfully transformed. And so I know if he did it in my life and Tyler's life, he could do it in your life. So here's what I want to talk to you about. I'm going to use James' outline, okay? He talked about, I think I got it right. He talked about there's distance, right? 
that we have, you know, with God, then there's deliverance from what we were distanced from. Then there's a discovery that is to be made. And then I think it was that last one. There's a decision, okay? And I want to talk to you. I want to zero in just on one focus of that little outline there. I want to talk to you this morning briefly on the subject from Scripture on deliverance, okay? That, that's what I want to address to you is the theme of deliverance. Let me just say this before I turn you over in the New Testament is that I love Teen Challenge. And I want to thank you for blessing my life already. Just the privilege to be here with you men and women is phenomenal to me. I feel like, you know, in one sense, as COVID came, you, got, you not only got shut out, but we got shut out of the joy of being in this. And so I say that because I'm super thankful that we're able to gather today. But this, so I pastor just a few miles down the road. We're active in this one, and we're so grateful, and we're blessed. And for you ladies, my wife was here yesterday at one of the table discussions at someone's house, and she just came away blessed. And so thank you for ministering to her. You know, how is it that God sometimes uses us to encourage people, but at the same time, he brings tremendous blessing back to us. Hey, open your Bible to Mark chapter 2. I want to bring you to one of the greatest passages in all of the scripture, to one of the greatest places, at least in my thought, in all of the scripture. And then, of course, I want to bring you to the greatest person in all of the word of God, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The passage that I bring you to is in Mark chapter 2. It's the healing of the paralytic. It is a wonderful passage on the story of this man's deliverance. And then I want to talk to you about the place you're going to see in just a moment. It's Capernaum. I've been to Israel three times, and I hope you have that joy in your lifetime to be able to go there. So this passage takes place in Capernaum. It's always been my favorite place to go into uh, Capernaum. In fact, I could probably just tell you, I've walked right where this man was. I've walked, we sometimes say, in the airspace of where this was. In fact, you could walk into Capernaum and you can see the foundational stones of the temple that Christ performed some of these miracles, and they believe the house where this miracle was performed. And then we come to the greatest person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to address this issue today of deliverance. Because really, that is the passage this morning. I want you to look at it with me. I'm just going to read it to you as a story as we walk through rather than reading it up front to you. It says in chapter 2, verse 1 of Mark, when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Now, you're just dropping your eyes into 2-1. He came back. He returned to Capernaum. And he came into a house. And we believe we know right where that home was. Look at verse 2. It says there that many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even the door. And I want you to note what he was doing. He was preaching the word to them. 
So if you can imagine this scene, put yourself back in Capernaum. He returns back home. He's teaching the word of God. There's so many people stuffed in the house that the Bible is super clear. You couldn't even get near the door. So there's not only people in the house, they're presumably coming out of the house. Now, when it says that he returned to Capernaum, you say, well, what happened in Capernaum? Just look back one chapter. In chapter 1, in verse 21, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, and he was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had, here's the key word, authority not as the scribes, and immediately there was a, in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Imagine that. You're in the church that day, or in this case, you're in the synagogue. It's on the Sabbath, and immediately in the synagogue, in comes a man that is possessed by an evil spirit. And he said, look at 124, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, just stop there just for a second, because Mark's going to take us all the way through his gospel, and the first one that professes Christ is the centurion in Mark chapter 15. Up until that time, they don't quite understand who he is, except the demons know who, they, who he is. We know, he says there, that you're the Holy One of God. And Jesus, verse 25, rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And verse 26, the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. I mean, imagine if you were there and this man goes into convulsions. Maybe they even knew who the man was in this town of Capernaum. He goes into convulsions, and this demonic spirit that was coming out of that man's, that man's mouth, it just came out. So verse 27, they're all amazed. And they said, they questioned among themselves, who is this, a new teaching with what? Authority. In other words, he's got so much authority then and even now that he's sovereign over the demonic world. In fact, it's, a, it's amazing. If you glance down at verse 131 or 30, he's Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. Immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve. So he's got not only authority over the demonic world, he's got authority over disease, fever and he just touched her and she was healed look at verse 33 in chapter 1 and the whole city was gathered together at the door and it says in 34 he healed many who were sick with various diseases he cast out many demons and he would not here's his authority again permit the demons to speak because they knew him and then it goes on to say that he went away from there. Look at chapter 1 in verse 45. Imagine this. He went out and he began to talk freely about it. So the news spread that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but he was out in desolate places and the people were coming to him everywhere. And in that context, if you back up in 140, the leper came to him imploring him and kneeling and said, if you can make if you will, you can make me clean and moved with pity. In 141, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. 
Listen, I don't know what your picture is of the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'll tell you this, when you read him in the word, right, he has authority over the demonic world. He's got authority over the diseased world. A man comes up with leprosy all over his skin, and rather than just give him the command, he touches his skin, and he's completely healed. So you begin to understand the context a little bit. Now look at 2-1. When he returned to Capernaum, after some days, he's back, is the thought. And so he's in this house, and he's teaching the word of God to them. And this man will come in. So listen, I'm, I'm going to give you four key words to help you understand this passage with the fourth word being the most key. First, there's the paralytic, okay? The paralytic. He, it's packed. Verse 3, they. We assume that it's his family or his friends. They came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. I don't think it's hard for you to see. They're like this. They're bringing the guy. Maybe they're one on each corner. They got him on some kind of pallet, on some kind of bed. They just cleaned out the whole city, and they're going to do anything they can to get this man to Jesus Christ. They hear he's back in Capernaum. They hear he's back in at the home, and so they thought maybe the paralytic itself, I think he's in that. They thought, we just need to get to Jesus and so he's carried, it says, by four men. Look at verse 4. And when they could got, not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. You say, what's going on here? Well, as you just read the account, they're carrying him to the house. They can't get to the door. So the Bible says they go around and they go to the roof. You say, is that common? Very common in these homes in Palestine. They can't get in because Jesus is preaching the word. They go over to the side of the house, common in Israel. They walk up the stairs. And usually on those homes, there was like a kind of a, 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 a top of the roof veranda in the cool nights where often families would go there. So these four take it on their own. They walk up the stairs. They go to the roof. The Bible's clear. They begin to take the roof apart. You say, could they do that? Yes, they could do that in those days. These roofs were laid by stacking beams three feet apart. And then they would lay sticks on these beams. And then they would coat it with a thick matting material. And it functioned as a roof. Their climate was very similar to ours. But all I want you to know is they got the paralytic. They want to get him into the lap of the Lord Jesus Christ. They come to the house. They can't get to him. But it says they go around, they climb up, and they begin to tear the roof apart. Can you imagine what Peter's mother-in-law is saying? He's in the middle of the house teaching the word of God. He's back. And he's not doing miracles here. He's preaching the word to them in verse 4. Now, a bizarre statement is in verse 5. Look at it. When Jesus, this is amazing, saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, it's a little bit of a bizarre statement because that's not why they came to Jesus. They came to Jesus because they wanted Jesus to perform a miracle on the paralytic. 
But it's funny how Jesus sees because he sees different than we see. Maybe the people in that house that day were like, what's going on? And as the roof becomes, you know, comes apart above, maybe there's debris falling, there's dust falling, and then all of a sudden a hole's emerging and maybe the mother-in-law is screaming, what on the world are you doing? And so they make enough of an opening in this roof to let down the paralytic. Now, the Bible doesn't say, but I don't think they dropped him, do you? Presumably, they brought, doesn't say, they brought some ropes and they dropped him down by way of these ropes right into the lap of Jesus. But he sees different than we see. He saw their, what? Faith. And then he makes this, incredible statement see it there in verse five son your sins are forgiven and who knows if maybe the guys still at the top of the roof the four of them thought that's not why we brought him we brought him for something else we brought him that he might rise and walk that's the paralytic but secondly there's a pardon and the pardon you understand was, son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Think about it just for a moment. He didn't tell the man to get up. The pardon came for him that your your sins are forgiven. Listen, as I speak to you today, I have no idea where you're coming from in terms of you being here, the gospel that James preached on, the gospel that can deliver you. But the greatest need in your life is pardon for your sins. It's more important than your family. It's more important than even your children. And I don't say that lightly. If you have kids on the outside and you weep for them while God's doing a work, but you can't help them until you have a pardon. The forgiveness of sins is the greatest message of Christianity. There's a lot that our faith entails, okay? But the greatest news, the greatest message is a pardon for your sins. So here comes the paralytic. He's looking for healing and he gets this pardon. But thirdly there, there's a problem. You say, what's the problem? Look at the text in verse six. It said some of the scribes, this is the religious people, the PhDs, if you will. They're sitting there. They're in the house, okay? And here's the problem. They're questioning. Now, the Bible's real clear. In their hearts, this is not a dialogue discussion. He comes down. Jesus looks at them. He sees his faith, maybe their faith, and he offers them a pardon, but the pardon leads to a problem. They're questioning in their hearts, You say, what were they questioning? It's in the text. Look at verse 6. It says, or verse 7, why does this man speak like that? He is, what? Blaspheming. Because why? The next statement says, who can forgive sins but what? But God alone. Only God can grant pardon. Only God can give forgiveness of sin. Listen, you may or I may, I've had to stand before them for tickets and stuff like that before judges. They may be able to pronounce something, but there's only one who has the authority to deliver you. 
There's only one who has the authority to take all your sins away from you. There's only one that has authority to bring joy and to bring peace and to grant the forgiveness of sins. And it's Jesus Christ. But the problem here is the Pharisees didn't get that because the Pharisees are caught up with external righteousness. They just care how you look, how you come off. Do you tithe? Do you tithe your money? Do you serve at the temple? And Jesus is stating something radical here, men and women. He's saying that he has the authority to forgive sins. But the problem here is these these Pharisees, they thought, who can forgive sins but God alone? Is that true? Yes, that's true. They actually said something true, at least part of it. Who can forgive sins but what? God alone. True statement? True statement. Only God has the authority, men and women, to forgive you. So let me just say it this way. He's got authority over the demons. He's got authority over disease. He can clean out all of Capernaum at one point. But now he has the authority, if you will, to pardon sin. But look what happened in the text. The mind reader is there. The heart reader is there. Verse 8, immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned themselves within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Is that kind of serious? I mean, they're not even talking. They're just thinking in their heart. And he goes right after him because the heart reader is there. He, he's, he knows what they're questioning. So look what he poses in verse 9. He said, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Now the question, you can look at that later today in your time with the word or tomorrow. Which one is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or secondly, rise, take up your bed and walk? I think I would have to tell you that both of them are the works of God, right? I mean, only God can tell somebody your sins are forgiven, not anybody else, but only God has the power to raise someone in this kind of condition. So in one sense, they're both works of God. But I think if I'm reasoning with you and you're thinking with me, it's probably easier to say your sins are what? Forgiven. I you say, well, why do you say that, Scott? I mean, would you reason with me? They're both works of God. But on, the other, on one hand, it's probably easier to say that because you're pronouncing something verbally on what you can't see internally. Does that make sense? You're telling somebody their sins are forgiven, but how do you know that? How, do you, how is that demonstrated? See, I've been walking many times. I grew up in Southern California, close to the beach. I would go to Zuma Beach. I'd go to, Mo, I'd go to Venice Beach. And sometimes walking on Venice Beach, I would see people who say they were Moses. I mean, you get some unique people down at Venice Beach, okay? And they, they were wearing like the prophet's garb. And a guy was pretending to be Moses, I suppose, he could say he's Moses. So maybe Jesus is saying it might be easier to say something that you can't see than for me to rise this man that you could see. And so here he says, look at verse 10. Now that you may know, and he uses this phrase, the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, 
And here's the fourth and final word, the pronouncement. He said to the paralytic, imagine if you were there. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and what? And go home. And he rose that moment. It's a miracle. And immediately he picked up his bed. He went out before them all. And they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen what? Anything like this. Can you imagine that day in that home and this paralytic not only getting his sins forgiven, but having the ability to rise, take up your pallet and go home. Listen, it's a double miracle because he not only forgave the sins of his heart, but he told him to rise and presumably he had been in that pallet a long time and on that bed. And he didn't even need some kind of uh, recreation to get his, bo his bones and his muscles loose. He rose, picked up the pallet and left in the sight of all and they glorified God. Now listen, I'm asking you, Teen Challenge, what's the greater miracle? I mean, we're in 2021 today. What's the greater miracle? Obviously, he rose, picked up his pallet, and went home and received the healing physically that he came for. But even bigger than the physical healing was the spiritual healing that his whole entire sin package was, what? Forgiven. He received the greatest gift that God can give, the forgiveness of sins. So in order for you to see the authority of Jesus Christ, he does something you can see so that you can understand the greater miracle of what you can't see. And listen, I don't know where the Lord has you in this place, but I'll tell you, this is the greatest deliverance that's needed. Amen. And, and you might be thinking he may deliver some of the people here. No, he can deliver all of you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter who you've been with. You come to a crossroads right at this point. And I am offering you through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of all your sins. In other words, in one split second, you can have everything you've ever done, both public sins and secret sins, deliver you by Almighty Jesus Christ as he grants you the forgiveness of sins. But here's the point. You've got to come to a decision, as James just said. And the decision would be to come to him in the context here by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm asking you this, this morning, this afternoon, if you want all your sins forgiven, it's right here. You, you know, we, he talked about distance. Then he talked about deliverance, right? Then I think it was discovery. And then it was decision. But if you've never been, his point, delivered, you can't get to the point of discovery and decision. So it comes now to this place, and I have no idea where you are, but I'm just telling you, he can forgive all your sins. And I just, I, that's the message I want to get across. In my life, I was a teenager, and I was just bound up by guilt. I don't know another way to tell you that. I just had so much 
guilt in my life because I think I had understood the Word of God, but I wasn't living according to the Word of God, and I was doing what I want with who I want, who I wanted, and whenever I wanted. And the whole time I'm walking in my life doing what I want, living for myself. Even as a young teenager, I was, I was conscious of this. I kept going like this, maybe just for a, a word picture. You know what I mean? I was looking over my shoulder because something in me was telling me I wasn't living right. Wasn't a believer at that point, but I kept looking over my shoulder. And I thought as I looked over the shoulder, it was God who was calling after me and me who had his fist my fist up into his face, even as a teenager. And I didn't want to submit to God. I didn't want God to rule my life. I didn't want his authority in my life. So I'm moving about like this, but I, I'm, I'm guilty all the time. You say, how bad was your guilt? Huh. Real guilt. You, you say like, how bad, Scott? Guilty that as I begin to move in my life, I begin to come under conviction, maybe once a month, like, hey, maybe my life's not right. Maybe I'm lying to my mom and dad at that football game that I said I was going to go to, and then I really went to my, my friend's house. And that girl that my mom told me to stay away with, I said, mom, she's really nice. And then I found ways to, to meet her at parties. And while I'm doing all that, kind of, you know, I, that's not big stuff, but I'm just... I'm guilty. Then my guilt became once a month. And it's beginning to drain my joy. It's beginning to drain me of just living in the moment for the Lord. But sadly, I'm telling you, teen students, what turned from once a month became once a week. And I'm living my life. But now, instead of looking over once a month, I'm living it every week in guilt and in fear and even a degree of shame. But then it gets worse. It wasn't just once a month, once a week. It became every day. And it got so bad in the day that I was a basketball player in junior high. And I would dribble my ball to the school. I grew up in Southern California in the San Fernando Valley. And I would get to the stoplight and I was dribbling. The light would turn green but I'm telling you, I was so fearful that I couldn't cross the street on walk. You say, well, what was wrong with you? Guilt, shame. I knew if I died, I wouldn't enter into heaven. And, and then the light would go from green to don't walk. And I stayed on the corner. Then it turned red. Then it turned green again. And I couldn't cross. So listen, I'm telling you, if you think you're getting away with something, we're getting away with nothing, right? And, and I am so fearful that I'm going to die. I couldn't cross the street. You say, well, why couldn't you cross the street? Because in my mind, I was fearful if I took that step off, okay, that an RTD bus, a rapid transit district bus, was going to come the other way and impale me on the front, so I got so scared to live, I couldn't even cross the street. And then I noticed that my stomach's turning in knots, and I'm probably developing an ulcer from what I know to be true about God, but how I'm living. Until that time, men and women, 
at the age of 14. I went in through the work of the Spirit of God in my heart. I got down on my knees and I confessed Jesus Christ as what? Lord. And I gave him my life. I asked him to forgive my sins. I believed on his work, Romans 10, 9, and 10, that he raised him on the third day. And Romans 10, 10 says, as you repent of your sin and believe on the work of Christ, you shall be what? Saved. And I can just tell you, listen, I can still remember that day. And I don't know, it's just the joy of the Lord. All I know is I got off, off my knees at 14. And the Lord Jesus Christ changed my life forever. He forgave all my sins in the person of Jesus Christ. Listen, men and women, this truth can be yours. You say, what do I have to do? You have to bow your knee, repent of your sin, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that he has that authority. This, and you say, well, I don't know. Well, what don't you know? You're going to walk around in shame. You're going to walk around in guilt. You're going to go back to your old life. I don't think most of you want to do that. But listen, what you need primarily to fix that distance is you need to be delivered from your sin. And here would be the thing that really caught me. I'm just being honest with you. It wasn't the massive amount of sin that I was committing as a teenager, okay? I knew I was a sinner, but the scripture that cut to me to the core of my heart, I can still tell you where I was. I'm shooting baskets. I'm out in my backyard and I'm working on my three-point shot. And the Holy Spirit sent this scripture into my heart. James 2.10, you might know it. Whoever keeps the whole law but becomes guilty at one point, he is what? He's, he's transgressed the whole law. And I realized that just one sin was enough to cast me away from the presence of God. And as soon as that sin came into me, that's when I entered, excuse me, as soon as that verse came into me, that's when I entered the room. I got down on my knees. I would tell you, it was the first time in my life that I realized I was a sinner. And you don't have to be a big sinner. You can be a big sinner, little sinner. Even if my sin was enough, just one sin to keep me from God. But listen, Here's the authority of Jesus Christ to forgive your sins. We just sang the song, I am redeemed. You have set me, what? Free, okay? I'll shake off, what? The, the chains, okay? The only way to get that done is to allow the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive your sins. Listen, in just a moment, as the worship team comes, we're going to sing again. And it could be that you want to write, come right back to this altar. And you have, maybe you're in Christ. And you just want to confess something. And you just need to come clean with it. And if you confess your sins, this is our theme. God is faithful and righteous to what? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of our sins. So it might be that you're in Christ and you need to make your life right by opening your hand to the sin that he knows you have committed. On the other hand, men and women, if you've never been delivered by the forgiveness of your sins, I am offering you through the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who has authority to do this. 
It's only bound up in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can cast the demon out like that, that can wipe out disease, and here can pardon all your iniquity. But you got to come to him in faith. You got to come to him believing that he has that authority. And when you see him as you are, you'll drop to your knee and say, God, change my life. And once he delivers you, then you can discover Exodus 3. Then you can make a decision on your life. But it goes always in this order. You've got to know your master. You've got to know your mission. And then you've got to find the right mate. But the first one is to know your master. Then he'll give you a right mission. So listen, have you come to Christ? Would you have had enough faith in that day or this day to come and say, Lord Jesus, cleanse me from all my sin? You know, the amazing thing is when the Lord comes into your life, let me just say this to you. He forgives all your past sin. He forgives all your present sin. But he even forgives all your what? Future sin. You say, well, wait, why would he forgive me all my future sin? Because when you come to Christ, he will cast all your sea as all your sin as far as the east is from the what? The west. He will bury your sin in the deepest part of the sea, it says in the Old Testament. He will wipe out your sin like a thick cloud. You say, but pastor, if he forgives all things present, what, wouldn't that lead me to a life of sin? <laughs> no, it's just the opposite. You'll be so overwhelmed by the grace of God, so overwhelmed by the love of God, so overwhelmed by the forgiveness of God that it will be your life joy to please Him in everything you do. And so the grace that redeems is the grace that sanctifies you. So here, let's pray together. Listen, if you would like to come up and just pray, you need to just come clean, agree with God about something, stand with me. Let's do that. And if you'd like just to bow your knee at the foot of the cross today, I'm telling you by the authority of Scripture, He could forgive all your sin. Father, do a work in this place. Thank you for James and his message. Thank you for the calling of Moses. But the truth is, Lord, that just what he said, this deliverance comes in the forgiveness of all of our sin. So, Father, I pray that you do a work here, both in the believer and in the unbeliever. And, Lord, there's probably some people sitting out there thinking, ah, he's a pastor saying that, or James is a pastor. I don't know if he'll forgive me. Father, I pray that they would see that because you're God, you can forgive sins. And Father, if we see anything out of Mark chapter 2, we understand the person of Christ. He is God. He's God in the flesh. And so he pronounced the proclamation of forgiveness because he himself is acting as the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has all authority. Father, may this be the beginning of a wonderful day for these students. Bless who we are and what we've done. Father, we commit our time to you and ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Once again, thank you for choosing our podcast today. We hope that you're comforted, encouraged, and strengthened in the Lord today because of it. Don't forget to subscribe, though. It's easy. 
Just go to wherever you're listening right now and click subscribe. God bless you today.